you had a post the other day that said something along the lines of stop putting a penis into a flaccid vagina. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, All genitals have blood flow. And we think about it a lot with penises because they change shape and size and color. And there is erectile tissue in the clitoris, not just in the head of the clitoris, down on either side of the vestibule or the labia majora, down even like along the muscles in kind of a leg type shape. And then also there is erectile tissue at the very bottom, most posterior aspect of the vaginal opening. And if you're not getting good stimulation and giving enough time for those tissues to engorge and fill with blood, then you're basically, it's an equivalent to trying to put a flaccid penis inside of a vagina. It's just, you know, you're not going to have that good of a time. This is Maestro on the Mic. A podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro, and you're about to get maestro Three, two, one. Hey guys, Maestro here, and welcome back to another episode of Maestro on the Mic. We're doing a special one today. They're all special, but today is especially special. It is Thursday afternoon. This episode, we're going to push it out early. It's going to come out on Monday in a few days. I brought on today a good friend of mine. If you're in the social media space, maybe you know her. If you're in the pelvic floor space, maybe you know her. Uh, She goes by the handle of Dr. Christina Holland, uh, and she's going to talk to us today about sex. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about pelvic floor. We're going to talk about non-binary things. We're going to talk about chronic pelvic pain. We're going to talk about physical therapy. We're going to talk about a bunch of things that have not been discussed yet on this podcast. And I was just like, you know what, Christina, we have to get you on because all that we're talking about right now is coronavirus with, you know, it's, it's understandable. It's justifiable. We're taking it seriously, but let's switch it up and... Let's talk about sex. So without further ado, welcome to the show, my good friend, Dr. Christina Holland. Welcome, friend. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm super stoked to be here. Dude, this is exciting. I mean, we talked before and I was like, I got to get you on, get you on. But like, this is, I think, a perfect time. You, you've you like amped up your social media presence, I want to say, or I don't even know your presence, just how you're saying things. And you're just putting out straight fire and it's things that just not being talked about, but are, but not. And I just, I'm really excited to have you. So I'm going to flip the mic over to you, to your very nice headset mic, by the way. And uh, <laughs> the sound is so good. I'll flip it over to you. And uh, why don't you introduce, introduce yourself and just tell the people whatever you want to tell them who you are. All right. So I'm Dr. Christina Holland. I live in Denver, Colorado. I have a private practice called Inclusive Care. Um, and I also work part-time at Denver Health, which is a um, nonprofit community safety net hospital, which means we see everybody and everything. And I am part of a couple of different teams at Denver Health. So I work as part of a post-operative vaginoplasty team. So with trans women who have just had bottom surgery, helping them after their surgery and get back, getting back to whatever type of things they want to do with their vaginas. And I also work as part of an integrative pelvic chronic pelvic pain team, 
So I work with eight different types of providers and we all meet once a month in order to discuss complex cases from a medical side, from a behavioral health side, from um, a physical therapy side, neuro, neuro, um, neuromuscular side. And I'm also part of the general or outpatient ortho PT department as well. Dude, I already have so many questions, but I'm like, where should, you know, I'm going to start. What got you into this? That's what I probably should probably yeah. start with. So I got interested when I was in PT school. The very My very first introduction was when I was trying to teach an undergraduate anatomy and physiology lab. And I was trying to teach it because I wanted a tuition stipend, to be honest. I was an out-of-state student, and I really could have used the money. Um, <laughs> and I started... I realized that I had to do a teaching demo and I picked reproductive anatomy and physiology because I'd been involved in um, sexual health education in college. And I realized that these little 18 year olds in Atlanta, Georgia may have never heard the word fallopian tube before. And it was going to come mm. out of my mouth for, for the first time. So I reached out to a bunch of people for information, ended up at a conference that was basically people. It's, it was um, healthcare providers who prescribe birth control. So I had literally no business being there, but it was super interesting. Huh. And in, uh, in that discussion, in one of the discussions, they were talking about the quote, female Viagra, um, phlebanserin, and how it's not super great as a female Viagra, um, but it is a good opportunity for you to talk to your patients about why they don't want to have sex and what they think is going on and all of that. And they just mentioned pelvic floor physical therapy. And I was like, all right. I know what physical therapy is. I'm literally in PT school. What is this pelvic floor business? Uh, what is what is that? They were like, oh, it's muscles in your pelvis. And I just knew nothing about it. So the more research I did, the more I found out that there, um, that it was a really underserved population, the more interested I got, the more I got to talk about sex, which I had always liked doing. I actually wrote a sex column in college. And um, then to wrap it all up, my last year of PT school, I ended up having a pelvic surgery, needed pelvic floor physical therapy, had a crappy, a crappy experience in the medical system. Um, and that just wrapped the whole thing up with a nice bow. And I have been doing it ever since. Damn. So what does your day look like now? Because you're working in a few different settings, um, which obviously we could kind of go down that rabbit hole, but you're working in a few different settings. Um, and I really would like to know, I mean, actually both of those settings, what does is, what is your day look like? Sure. So right now with coronavirus or yeah. normally? Uh, let's go to normally. <laughs> okay. Um, so normally before two weeks ago, uh, I was working two days a week in my private practice, one-on-one -on -one for an hour, um, pretty much all pelvic. A little bit of, of general chronic pain, but mostly chronic pelvic pain. And um, I work in a really cool building. There are a lot of different types of providers in my building, and a lot of us work with mom and baby. So that was awesome. And a lot of us are also um, women who own businesses. So really, really cool community, community in that regard. And then at Denver Health, I um, work there three days a week. And you never know what that day is going to look like, to be honest with you. Um, I see nine patients a day at 45 minute appointments um, and a real, a cool gym that I have access to like the regular outpatient ortho gym and just a really cool group of providers that I get to work with there as well. So I feel super lucky. So in this hospital, you had said, uh, you kind of slipped that in earlier, something about vaginoplasties. You're part of the post-op vaginoplasty team. What exactly are you doing with these patients like what what does your patient caseload look like what are you know obviously like i'm not saying like break hipaa here but what yeah what do you no, do you. <laughs> um yeah so that it actually makes up probably about 30 percent of my caseload at denver health 
Um, Denver Health is doing or was doing two surgeries a week um, in vaginoplasty. And vaginoplasty, for anyone who doesn't know, is a the creation of a neovagina. So people who were identified male at birth and born with penises um, get to have their penises sculpted into really amazing, amazing vaginas. Um, so I'm sure that's wow. not a sentence you hear a lot on your podcast. <laughs> like, wow. Awesome. Um, But it's so cool. So um, I see them after their surgery, they're in the hospital a couple of days, they go home with a catheter and with packing. Mm -hmm. So vaginal packing to maintain the shape of their new vagina. And then they come in and see me seven days later after their surgery, after the catheter and packing has been removed. And I help them dilate for the first time, which means that we insert dilators, which are big kind of dildo shaped objects, but they're not, they're not quite as um, sculpted as what you might find in a sex toy store. Um, (laughs) They're not as artistic. (laughs) Uh, They are, they do come in pretty colors though. So that's nice. Um, And they, they, I help them insert them for the first time, but you have to imagine, right? It's like these people who are newly post-op and so they're, they're putting something inside a surgical site basically. So there's some interesting yeah. medical things that go with that. Totally. Wow. Yeah. But so I help them kind of manage their pain, figure out how to do it. Cause they have to be able to do it three times a day for the next three months, two times a day after that, one time a day after that, and then for the rest of their life. So it's a, it's an important skill for them. Questions, uh, general healing time. And so, and can you elaborate on that? You have to do that for the rest of your life. Yeah, sure. So it's a really good question. So, you know, full disclosure asterisks here is there's not a lot of research. There's pretty much no long-term research on mm-hmm, yeah. like, what are people's outcomes in the long, long term. Um, Cause I'm seeing people as young as, as 19 who are getting these wow. surgeries, um, which is really, really cool for them. Uh, yeah. So, they still have their whole life ahead of them. Yeah. But it's really interesting, right? Because when I first started, I was like, ooh, we are putting this thing inside of someone's body, this surgical site, seven days post-op. Yeah. Really? That's what we're doing? Um, but yeah, that's it's required because what the risk you're running is that if you let and, – and that being said, there are different protocols, right? And they're, again, not super standardized, lots of ongoing research. Um, there are a lot of different protocols. Um, ours is seven days is when we're starting dilation. And the risk that you're running is that if you aren't keeping putting something inside on a regular basis, that the wound will basically close from from the inside and scar tissue will form and people will no longer then have a vagina. And unfortunately, that is something we see. Man, and this is but this you're saying wound. So this will not heal like you have to do this for the rest of forever is like my continued Uh, question. Like, yes, I mean, just forever. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what we, our best guess is that probably after a year, you can do it much less frequently. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know anecdotally from you people who go on YouTube and Twitter and all the social to talk about their vaginas, um, that there are some people that certainly do not dilate in the long term and then decide like, oh, let's check for science if this is still a thing. Um, And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. And we but we don't know. We don't know what it's going to look like for each individual person. So kind of the the blanket medical statement that we have now is that, yeah, this is something that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. I will say if you're having receptive penetrative intercourse, so if there's something going inside and doesn't have to be a penis necessarily, but if there's something going inside that counts after a certain amount of time. Gotcha. 
got to that counts as dial as dilation. Yeah, mm-hmm. basically. Okay. Just ensuring that it's not it's not closing. I kind of sometimes um will make an analogy to like an ear piercing or like any yeah. type of piercing. I like right? was thinking that in my head, but I was like, is this insensitive for me to say that? <laughs> so no, I, don't say. I don't I don't think so. Um Okay. So yeah, it it makes sense. It's something that people can visualize. And even so I think a gauged earring is even a better mm-hmm. example. So Oh yeah, after- yeah. After some point, the tissue might not come back down to the, its exact like original state, but it won't necessarily be available to all the things functionally that you want it to be available for. That makes so much sense. Could you talk to us just a little bit about everything surrounding this? So if you guys are listening, I will link it in the show notes. I had a friend of mine, Nick Casey, come on in one of my very, very, very early episodes. Uh, and Nick Casey is a uh, female to male uh, transgender person. Um, and they came out with a, a shoe line basically because of this, because they were unable to find shoes. And I was like, dude, I resonate so hard with this. Like, I don't want female you know, typical female presenting shoes, but men men's shoes are just way too big. And so <laughs> Nick Casey started their own footwear line, which is amazing. So I'll link that episode in the show notes, but we haven't really, or I haven't really talked about that since. And so, you know, I think it's something that is, it is a very big issue these days. Um, and I don't, when I say big issue, I don't mean like in a bad way. I just think that, you know, like, I feel like time made they the word of the year. Was mm-hmm. I, am I wrong? Was that right? So yep. could you just... Give us some education surrounding just this this concept of non-binary, this concept of, uh, you know, which pronouns to use. Could you just educate us a bit? Sure. So full disclosure, I am a cis woman, which means that I was identified female at birth and identify female now as an adult. Um, and the another option would be a trans person who was identified within the binary. Well, okay, so... There are trans people who are who can also be non-binary, um, but but there are certainly peop- trans people who also consider themselves binary. So in your when you're talking about your friend Nick Casey, it sounds like um, they are a trans person that does not subscribe to the binary. They don't fit in the yes. binary. The binary being men and women. Is that correct? Sounds like a yes. Yes. Okay, from perfect. I mean, yes. Um, <laughs> and so and so the. Another situation is that someone can, the people that I primarily see, I do work with some non-binary folks, but I work with more trans women. So they are people who were identified male at birth and, but are, have actually for most of their lives, sometimes all of their lives, um, and quite frankly, the amount of time doesn't matter, um, identify, identify much more as a woman, which is still within that binary, that, that Mm -hmm. one box or the other, as opposed Mm -hmm. to neither or both. Amazing. And... How would you, or do you have any recommendations for kind of approaching this this topic? So one of the things that happened has happened recently, um, I don't want to say has happened recently, but as an educator, I notice these things within class. And so I, I make it a point to not gender people when I'm speaking to them. You, you can just use their name or you know, ask them their name. But it definitely, as an educator, it's something to be, and just, you know, as a person in general, it's something to be aware of. Um, so do you have any suggestions in terms of, I don't want to say like bringing it up or broaching that, but like, you know, I think that, th- that there's concern from people that are, that fall into the, the traditional binary system that are, you know, cis men and cis women and that no one wants, to, nobody wants to offend anybody else. Right. And sure. the whole concept of using they and them can be confusing. Do you have any suggestions around that? 
It's such a good question. Um, I think the first thing, and it's something that I have taken a lot of time and a lot of practice um, to get good at. And still, sometimes I screw up. So I think just knowing that one, I just want to give people, I would love to give people permission to, to still try because what I have seen happen is because people don't want to do harm. And then if they unintentionally do do harm, it changes the way they feel about themselves. Right. So they, their mm-hmm. self-esteem kind of suffers from that, especially if you, you are someone that prides yourself on not doing other people harm. Um, yeah. But then people will decide to opt out. They're like, Oh, well that's just too confusing or it's too much yes. or I can't do it. Um, yes. And so I just want to tell you that one, it's okay if you mess up and two, you can do it. Um, and there are caveats with that. And there are things like if you do mess up, it, it you, the onus is on you to fix it. And like you, you might have to um, deal with some repercussions that are not super enjoyable that you th- might think are overstated because you don't have all, the full context and all of that. Right. But it's OK to mess up and you can do it. Um, and so what I normally do, something that makes it super easy across the board is you just, you make it a habit with everybody. So you, so when I call people back and this is again, ever evolving. So now when I call people back, I call them back by their last names. Um, mm-hmm. and then, and, or if they have like an MRN, like a patient number that if they know it, you can call them back by that. But I call people back by their last names and then do I you, ask wait, them what they like. I have a question. Called. I have to like, you call them back by their last names. So that, do you, what do you put in front of that? You just say. I just call, I just say their last name. So if I'm in a waiting room situation, so when I'm at the hospital. Oh, oh, so I'm sorry. You call them back into your office. Yes. Sorry. I thought you meant really? you called someone back in the phone. I was like, so you're like, hello, Cofield. And I'd be like, <laughs> what? No, no. So in my, in my private practice, it comes up less often because I'm normally talking to people before they schedule with me. So I have a better gotcha. idea. Um, at the hospital where I might not know, although, and then depending on where you work, right, people have different policies. But at the hospital where I might not know, I will call people back by their last names. And then I will ask them what they like to be called. So then, right, if your name is Janet, but you go by Jane, there's perfect time for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so easy. Go ahead. It. Sorry. It's so easy. I love it. It's just like, yes. Yeah. Um, and but so and making sure that your intake paperwork is, is yes. gender neutral and anyone can can fill it out and not feel isolated and you don't have to choose between like so your front desk person has doesn't have to decide if you get the penis paperwork or the vagina paperwork right like (laughs) then and and I know it sounds really like kind of crude to say it that way but the reality yeah the reality is is we're just deciding like we're attributing these personality characteristics based on what genitals we think people have Yes, it is. Uh, Carrie Pagliano posted about it the other day because um, she was checking a box. I don't know, it was a census thing. Mm-hmm. And she was like, is anybody else annoyed by the fact that it still says this? Like, there's only two options. And I don't know, you know, half the time when you're doing things, you know, taking these uh, polls and such, I'm like, why do you even need to know this? But for me growing up, that was less of an issue and more of the issue was the race thing. And so I completely understand. Like, they'd be like, check one of these boxes, black, white, Hispanic, or like, something else non-hispanic and i was like so i'm like black and puerto rican and i don't have a box and this is like you're making me pick one and this is like i'm like you know like i'm like seven years old and i'm like this seems like why do i have to do this so i love that you know that's a huge step just in terms of creating inclusivity from the jump with your paperwork so you know i think that the majority of listeners honestly are quite on board with this 
I think that one of the things I would love for you to perhaps talk about is kind of the periphery. So I've experienced it within my own, you know, working places, places of work and such where certain people are just totally on board and other people, it's not that they're not on board, but they're just so unaware. And I'll, I'll just come out and say it, like a lot of white men don't realize like, what it means to someone to be called by the right gender. And like you said, we were just like, it's just too confusing. And I, I don't think that it comes from a bad place of like, I don't want to call you the right thing. It's just like, oh, this inconveniences me and I'm going to feel kind of stupid, so I'm just not going to do it at all. So what, what, do you, what, if any, maybe this is a hard question, advice do you have for people that are around other people <laughs> who maybe have a little bit of, tough, of a tough time with things? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's uh, the answer is something that I'm still working on, right? Because those are also places that I end up, even at the hospital, I'm, I'm part of this LGBTQ Center for Excellence, which is amazing. And still, it, you can just tell when it, it catches people off guard. Yeah. Um, I worked with a physician recently, and we were talking about a colleague and um, the physician called the colleague, like referred to them as a her. And so I just gently corrected, like, oh, I think they, they use they pronouns. And she, the, my colleague, my physician colleague, was just so taken aback. Like, she tried, but then she couldn't figure out how to use they in a sentence. She was like, so, so them, them in the, <laughs> like, just completely grammatically incorrect. Yeah, I just, like, couldn't do it. <laughs> and it. And it was like, oh. I wanted to laugh. I kind of wanted to laugh. Like, this is, I can see what's happening here. Um, yes. But it's still, like you use the word they all the time, but now all of a sudden you're mm-hmm. thinking about it and you just can't. Yes. Um, so all of that being said, I don't know that there is one right answer. Um, I feel safe in a place where I do feel like I can push the boundaries with folks and I can say like, you know, I really think um, I, I just refer to patients the way that they want to be referred to. I talk about patients um, the way I would want to be talked about if I were a patient um, and I try and role model it to be honest with you. Yes, yes, yes. hundred percent. Yes. And then you kind of like gauge people's reaction. So if people are like, oh, that's interesting. Will you tell me more about that? Or even if they seem like amicable, but maybe don't know how to do it themselves, or you'll, you'll, you'll know the people who want more information because they will start to realize that they're doing it the wrong way and they want to do it the right way, but they'll like stutter and be confused and they might like flush, you know, they look, they look frazzled. Mm -hmm. Um, and those are the people that are like, Hey, I'm happy to talk to you about this if you want. Or like, let me give you a couple of like guiding tips. Um, yeah. I love it. That's, that's brilliant. And that's, I think we should be doing everything in life is just role modeling it for people. Uh, you know, if you're comfortable enough and you're able to to step up and just do these things, the people around you are just like, Oh, okay. People like us do things like this. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's amazing. Totally. And something that I think is important to note is like, it might not be comfortable. Like it's not my favorite thing to go into my boss's office and have to gently correct him um, about things that he should know. Um, But I would much rather do it. And it is, I really believe the onus is on me as opposed to one of my transgender patients having to do it. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like that. That's, this is like, you're, just everything about you. This is like super remarkable stuff. Do you have any resources? And I feel like it's a, I don't even know if it's a tacky question, but like, do you have where any places we can learn more about any of this? Like, people like to read stuff, learn stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, I so no 
so one of my favorite physical therapists who's doing a great job of this is Heather Edwards. Um, their pronouns are she and they, and they are teaching some courses through Pelvic Guru. Of course, like all of this okay, is yeah. TBD. Um, but I took a course from them, um, and they pair up with Tuesday Farrell, who is who also uses they them pronouns. Um, okay. And it was a great course. So that's an option if you're going the course route. Um, and you're not looking for something vaginoplasty specific. So if you're looking for vaginoplasty specific and like the medical management of that sort of stuff, um, Sandy Gallagher, I think, is the one who is doing a course um, about that specifically. In terms of how to treat trans people like people, honestly, social media and Instagram is awesome. Um, yeah. It sounds It sounds obvious, but then there are certainly some nuanced things that I don't, you know, you just... When something is ubiquitous, right? Fish don't mm -hmm. notice the water around them. Yeah. They don't even think about the water. When they're wet. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, totally. Um, but so just following trans people, um, trying to support trans people and non binary folks and just people who generally are not the same as you. So good. Uh, questions. One, what was Heather's last name? Edwards. How did I forget that? That's pretty simple. And. So can you explain this? So this is this is like kind of racks my brain a little bit. If someone goes by they and her, mm -hmm. what when is do mm. they choose that or who can I can I mess that up? I think is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think you just have to go with the way that people introduce themselves to you. So, um, they because and here's the thing, right? Sometimes it's going to be unsafe for trans and non-binary folks to mm, identify mm -hmm. as trans and non-binary folks out in the world. Yeah. So you just have to follow their lead. And if it's someone that you spend a lot of time with, um, you know, just ask them if it's someone you're meeting for the first time, you can, a way you can role model it, especially if you're at work is hi, you know, I'm Dr. Christina Holland or I'm Christina and I use she, her pronouns um, yeah. for, my folks who work in peds, um, there are other considerations like maybe your patient is out to you or out in their medical chart, but not out to their parents. So mm. just being really cautious and careful about how you navigate that um, is a, is going to be an important factor. There's just so many amazing things to think about. And I want to, like, again, I said, my audience, you guys listening, you are phenomenal. You guys write to me. I hear from you. And I think that you guys are all just fucking amazing and I know one of the things that can come up with this this kind of discussions is that it is it can be frustrating and difficult and it seems like an extra step and you know your intent when you're speaking to someone it's not to offend them it's not to do any you know make them feel any kind of way but it is still super important that the effort is put in to you know meet this person where they're at and the, the best thing that I can explain because I had this interaction not too long ago we had this big discussion about this uh, the best thing I can explain it as is like calling just simply calling someone the right name. Like if you're walking around and someone kept calling you Karen and you're like, hey, Karen, hey, Karen, hey, Karen. And you're like, but that's not that's not my name. And I, that's happened to all of us, I'm sure. And you were, were some of you maybe were just like, uh, no, my name's Christina. And other people were maybe like, I don't want to make that person feel bad. So like, I'm not saying anything. And then it's been like three years and you're like, they still call me Karen. And I'm <laughs> kind of like, ah. So just understanding that it, it just comes from a place of wanting to be, you know, identified correctly. So I get it. It is an extra step. But I think especially in this time of coronavirus, we understand the value of just taking the extra step when we're doing things and considering others 
when we're doing things. So got a whole list of uh, resources there for you. We will put those in the show notes. But again, like Christina said, Christina's name is really cool, by the way, guys, because she has two Ys in her name. Like I just keep saying it because I see it and I'm like, it's just really cool. I know. I was laughing at that example because like for sure I've been called like people don't know how to pronounce it because it has the K and two Y's. So I they, they kind of like lose the last syllable just trying not to get it wrong. So I get like a lot of charisma. Um, <laughs> so and I, I still have the problem of like, OK, am I going to tell you that my exactly. name is like, doesn't matter or I'm I don't just really... going to let you, let you do that or yes. and then sometimes it just they're just like, no, it's Kristen. And you know who, who most often does that is it is like. I, sorry but like white men like cis white yeah. men they won't yes. just ask me again yeah. they'll just like call me yeah. like this is it and you're like oh okay i guess it's just fine <laughs> like totally <laughs> <laughs> it's like this this is this is where we're at so we got a bunch of resources uh we'll put them in the show notes like christina said um the pelvic guru stuff is kind of tbd anything that's in person is obviously tbd yeah, but TBD. we'll still link all that stuff for you and I love that she threw the show the socials out there because it is absolutely a phenomenal resource for that um and speaking of the socials we're gonna pivot a little bit you had a post the other day that said something along the lines of stop putting a penis into a flaccid vagina yeah you nailed it three two one go talk about it (laughs) okay so here's the thing um all genitals have blood flow and we think about it a lot with penises because they change shape and size and color and um, and do interesting things when they have more blood flow. And <laughs> um, vulvas also, so quick, quick. Yeah, I was right? waiting for that. Okay. Vulvas and vaginas. So vulva is the outside. Vagina is the inside. So the vagina is the muscular tube um, that you can access through the vulva. Okay. So what we're actually looking at when you're looking at like a clitoris and, um, and the vaginal opening is the vulva. So with that being said, there is erectile tissue in the clitoris, not just in the head of the clitoris. If you have never looked up, I don't know, clitoral model maybe, or clitoris actual clitoris actual size i don't really know what you should google um but do it though google it just go google Google it it. just you got time now if you just google clitoris though i can't guarantee what you're gonna get so (laughs) my my googles are full of some real interesting things i'm sure i'm on a list somewhere mostly at the Mm. hospital honestly my the tech guys who have to clear these websites for me are probably like what the f does this woman do for a living anyhow um so there's the clitoris clitorises, um, not clitori, have erectile tissue at the head of the clitoris, down on either side of the vestibule or the the labia majora, um, down even like along the muscles um, in kind of a leg type shape. And then also there is erectile tissue at the very bottom, most posterior aspect of the vaginal opening. And so if you're not getting good stimulation and giving enough time for those tissues to engorge and fill with blood and, you know, other fluids, then you're basically, it's an equivalent to trying to put a flaccid penis inside of a vagina. It's just, you know, you're not going to have that good of a time. Oh, so let's keep going down that rabbit hole of <laughs> un- any, un- any of it. Or? Always intended, 100% <laughs> intended, always intended there. Any, like, I just want you to talk like I could listen to you talk about this forever, just in terms of the nuances of sex and female pleasure and um, persons with disabilities and just uh, masturbation and everything that you talked about on social media that is just like, this is great. 
That may, so, might be the nicest thing anyone ever, has ever said to me. So thanks for that. Um, it's so good. So go ahead. You just whatever you want to talk about. Okay. So something that hap- that I often see. So I, what? Okay. Starting over. It's exciting. Not too, too excited. Um, so I think about sex a lot of the time because I see a lot of sexual dysfunction, right? So I think about like, all right, where did this go wrong? Mm-hmm. And a lot of where things are going wrong is actually in a lack of education. It's a lot of the time, it's not mm-hmm. the anatomy that isn't working correctly. It's not anatomy that is pathological. It's society that is pathological. Ooh, damn. <laughs> so, for example, just the fact that we don't even really talk about vulvas that much, that many people don't even know the difference between a vulva and a vagina, um, that we don't. There's not good research on female pleasure. There's not good research on even like female and like arousal from a physiological perspective, right? This is a physiological process. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have just decided, it just makes me kind of laugh slash kind of sad. As physical therapists, we're like, we are the experts of physiological processes and muscles and all of these things, except... Yeah. Except for these, except yes. for the ones hundred <laughs> percent below ASIS and above Greater Troke. Those fuck those. Fuck those. <laughs> it's true. So yeah. So true. what I often see in painful inter- people who are having painful intercourse is that they are not having enough foreplay. So mm-hmm. they're not having enough foreplay. So you're not getting the good blood flow. Um, they're not getting enough lubricant lubrication, um, which another good thing to know is that just if because someone with a vulva is wet or has natural lubricant doesn't mean they're turned on. And just because they don't have natural lubricant happening right at that time doesn't mean that they aren't turned on. So there is a disconnect. It's the, they're not, it's not a one-to-one correlation. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's already a problem because I have so many people coming into my office afraid to use lubricant. Um, which is created to fix this problem because they're like, oh, my my partner is going to be weird about that. My partner is going to be going to think it's kinky. My partner is going to think I'm not into them. Um, all these things. And let me tell you, mm. that is not just from a cis woman perspective either. So I have non-binary clients who are on testosterone and mm-hmm. then have decreased vaginal lubrica- lubrication. And they're also afraid of using lubricant. They might be afraid of using it because maybe they're having sex at places that they can't guarantee that lubricant will be available. They might be having sex at places or with people who um, they maybe they don't want to come out. Maybe they're presenting a certain way and they don't want to mm. come out as ha- as being any other type of way. Um, I, I had a client one time tell me, well, I'm already trans and non-binary. So I feel like also needing lubricant is just more extra than thing. I feel like I can be. Wow. Yeah. So, right. That's not the tissue being pathological. That's society being pathological. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Dude. So people are stuck inside right now. And I anticipate there's going to be, I'm on the fence with this. Like maybe there's going to be a lot of babies, but then also I think the people that are having a lot of babies, it's going to be their first kid. Cause I think the other people are stuck with their kids and they're like, no more of this. (laughs) This is the end. So how can people have these kinds of discussions? What's a, a safe way or a way that's a comfortable way to just like start having these, com- these conversations, not even just about lube, but about pleasure and being receptive to things and like liking things. Like, is there, how, what do you coach your people on? Do you coach yeah. people on this? I'm assuming. I, was, I, I was do. A I do a okay. lot. I do a lot of coaching <laughs> of people on this. Um, so 
what the one of the first things is how can you possibly explain to someone else what you like if you don't actually know what you like mm-hmm. so i see a lot of folks who have never given themselves an orgasm have maybe never had an orgasm um but have, have like don't even feel comfortable trying they don't feel comfortable talking about their genitals looking at their genitals touching their genitals um and they're just kind of relying on their partner to be this vessel to orgasm this vehicle to orgasm mm-hmm. And their partner, um, a lot of them are in heterosexual relationships. They're working with different parts and their partner doesn't really know like what to do with their genitals. Um, they only know what they like for their own. And so then you get this disconnect of, you know, maybe these people really even are willing to try. They just don't know what to do or they don't even know that you don't like what they're doing or that it's not getting you anywhere because it's too uncomfortable to talk about. Um, so I actually prescribe a lot of vibrators, like a lot. Ah. Um, so mm. if you are looking, maybe we should put this in the show notes. Vibrators. I was going to say, I was like, so let's just put those in there. Okay. Yeah. Come on. Non-scary looking vibrators and they have different purposes, like depends on what you want to do with it. If you want it all on the outside, if you want it a little bit on the inside, um, if you want it all on the inside, if, yeah, there are lots of options. Um, so I, I do a lot of prescribing of vibrators and I tell, I typically tell people, Um, Because if I told people to masturbate who don't masturbate for religious reasons or don't masturbate because their own genitals totally gross them out or any number of other reasons, they're never going to come see me again. So I start with the vibrator in terms of like, okay, this is where you can use it at that very – one of the commonly missed areas in terms of the blood flow we were talking about is that very Mm -hmm. bottom part of the vagina. Um, so I will often tell people to use the vibrator there and along the muscles um, that come – that come right out from the vaginal opening Mm -hmm. transverse perineae um so that Mm -hmm. people can get good blood flow there and also the muscles then relax right which makes them more easily to expand which then makes something easier to go inside um just like any other it's just tolerance to pressure right it's yeah i document tender to palpation all the time um so we get people to do that and then i'm like oh by the way you could also use it at your clitoris if you wanted to i think that's awesome but if you don't and you want it but what I'm really suggesting is that you use it for increased blood flow so you can have sex with your mm-hmm. partner. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, we have more questions. We'll keep going. Um, do you have specific recommendations? And no, so it just depends on your price point and what you like. And um, my biggest recommendation always is get something that's body safe. Um, I have a sex toy store here in Denver that I'm obsessed with. Um, they're wonderful. And so I just send people there. So gotcha. I don't have so that I don't have to be an expert of all vibrators. What do you mean by body safe? Is that what you just said? Body mm-hmm. safe? Yeah. What does that have, mean? Doesn't have BPA, doesn't have gross plastic. Oh, oh, it's actually like, got it, got it, got it. It's like legitimately body safe. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Just taking that question there. I love it. So starting off, and that's, I mean, that's the foundation for so many things is starting off with like yourself. And I love that you bring in the kind of the physiology side of that. Can you talk, uh, yeah, can you talk some more about the societal implications for things, especially because you brought it up there and you're like, this is not a physiological problem. This is a society problem. You, you spoke about this before we hopped on the podcast, just in terms of pelvic pain and just how, how it manifests and what you're seeing because you have this spectrum of, of clients. Could you talk about just kind of that and the society, pain, pelvic pain, and just how these things kind of play together or how you yeah. play together? 
Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things that I have seen from a physical therapy perspective and a neuromuscular perspective is that I get these women in my office who have been having sex for vaginal sex, vaginal intercourse for, it it honestly doesn't matter how long. It's been very painful. They're almost now so sensitive that they like, they oftentimes, in fact, they cannot be touched. A lot of them Mm -hmm. are completely abstinent. Um, It has very huge implications in their sense of self, in their identity, um, in their relationships with their partners. Um, It's huge, right? And then you see, I see these trans women who have just got this new vagina that is like a, a wound like there are actual yeah. physical wounds um, which we know are have to be so painful and they are like s- totally fine like, honestly like uh, yeah they can have yeah. dis- some discomfort some surgical discomfort but oftentimes we'll have very very little pain um, and so then you're like all right this just doesn't there's something else going on here yeah that's awesome. Oh, um, that's yeah. awesome. It's such a good example, I think, yes. of just how multifactorial pain is. There it is. There um, it is. And so oh, I think so, so a good example that I've seen is I had this patient who um, was very religious, didn't believe in sex before marriage, tried to have intercourse. It did not go well. Um, they, and they weren't able to really consummate their marriage. They were not married very long. Her husband divorced her because she basically, because she couldn't have sex with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and there wasn't anything, there wasn't really anything wrong physiologically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yes, ma'am. and we, she's also someone who didn't, wouldn't masturbate, like didn't feel comfortable, we had to really like get her to a place step by step of, okay, will, would you consider looking at your genitals? Would you consider applying this cream that will help with your vaginal dryness? Will you consider, you know, each step and each step is a conversation based on like what people are, are willing and able to do. Yeah. Um, because, and that's a conversation that's important for so many reasons. So one is just trauma informed care, right? So mm-hmm. I cannot assume that people are going to feel comfortable looking at their genitals. I can't even assume that people are going to feel comfortable with me talking about their genitals. So we have to have a conversation. And especially in this now in this trans and non-binary um, realm as well, like, what do you call your genitals? Because if you are identifying in a way that is not how you were identified at birth, you might have different words for your genitals. And I, and it could be very triggering for you if I use the wrong one. Sure. sure. So having those conversations with folks from the get go, um, you know, is it okay if I use a model? Like, can you show me where your pain is? These sorts of things. So even because sometimes people don't have vocabulary for it. Um, Mm. So starting with that and then going to what people are comfortable with, because if my goal, I really do believe that pain is more of an output, right. Than an input. So it's not that there's something wrong in this tissue and then our, my brain is receiving it. It's that I'm getting all of these inputs from the outside world as well as the inside world. And then I'm, I'm coming up with an output. Absolutely. And, and sometimes that output is pain. Sometimes that output is tension. It can be all sorts of things. As you always say, the nervous system is queen. She is. She is. She is. She is. Honestly, so before we hopped on the call, we're talking about just other stuff and Christina was like, yeah, you like run in the pelvic circles. And I'm like, yeah. So, you know, that's what I used to do was pelvic floor physical therapy many years ago. It was like I was, I don't know, two years out of school. 
And I did that for like a solid three years. And that is honestly what got me interested in pain science. It completely changed how I treated because that story that you just said about the person whose tissues are otherwise physiologically 100% okay from what we can see and testing what they're doing. And that this person is having debilitating pain. And that for the first time I was like, what's happening? Like this is, our model is flawed. Like, you know, at least when it's like, you know, a traditional orthopedic cases, you take like a freaking MRI and you find some shit in there. Like if you want to have pain, go get an MRI because they're going to find something on there, right? <laughs> so like at least you could kind of like justify it in our simplistic terms and like make it really mechanical and like, oh, well, your disc is like that and there's like degeneration. So maybe you're having pain. These people are coming in and then there was like nothing wrong that we could see. Mm-hmm. And yet they were having like crippling pain like you said like people obviously you know they couldn't have sex they couldn't sit down they can't wear underwear they definitely can't ride a bike they can't wear pants they definitely can't wear jeans like just radically changing their life and that their tissue is fine and that was really for the first time i started to understand holy shit pain is not this thing in the tissues and i didn't have the verbiage yet of like oh it's an output from the brain but i was like we gotta do something different with this and i love how you said you know before the 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 role that society has and how all of these thoughts will change, can and will change things and affect things. Like, it's just, it's such powerful stuff. If someone listening to this, Christina, is like, yo, this is me, whether it's, you know, pelvic pain, whether it's can't have sex, whether they're questioning, whatever, what what can these people do? What, what, what kind of first steps do you recommend in terms of like finding a provider or something, finding someone? Yeah. So if you're just looking to, well, one, you can reach out to me. I'm happy to, to help you connect with somebody. Um, but there are also uh, databases. So the APTA Academy of Pelvic Health has one. We can put that in the show notes. Okay. And then um, Pelvic Guru also has one. And then there are some other ones as well. Those are the ones that I probably most often okay. recommend in terms of trying to find a provider near you. Amazing. Um, I'm going to ask you two questions, but one at a time. One, <laughs> what's your best contact information then? Yeah, Instagram is is the best. I Amazing. I can deal with a lot of other um, notifications, but the Instagram notifications really get me. So if you want urgent, if you want fast answers, Instagram is good, and that's um, Christina Holland on Instagram. So with my K and two Ys. I love it. K R Y S T Y N A dot Holland H O L L A N D. Yes, that that's me. Good. And then if you want to check out my website, it's inclusivecarellc.com. Amazing. That will be all in the show notes. I forgot the goddamn second question. That's why I tried to ask at the same time. But it's like, it's a really bad interview strategy to like, or technique, tactic to ask two questions at once. And so I try not to do it. But this is also why I do it because then I forget the second one. Oh, I remember. So first was how they can contact you. And then two, if you could just summarize and you guys, like I said, we'll put the other, um, kind of pelvic health episodes in here. So I, I had um, Carrie Pagliano's been on here. Uh, Julie Weeb has been on. But I think we talked more about breathing with Julie Weeb. Um, Brianna Battles has been on. Tracy, which is our schedules don't match, so she, she will be on. But I'll link those. Um, but for someone that's maybe saying like, I don't know if this is me. I don't know if this can help. What kind of things does someone like a provider like you, a pelvic floor provider, what can they help with? Sure. So if you're having, this is is actually a great question because a lot of people are like, uh, but sex should be uncomfortable some of the time. Right. (laughs) And then we check out their pelvic floor and like, I can barely touch them. I'm like, no, 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 no team. This is not within the acceptable (laughs) 
Like if there were some sort of spectrum of, okay, this is yes. not within it. Um, so if you're having pain, painful sex, painful foreplay, painful orgasms, um, like just think about it, right? That, that is yeah. something that is supposed to be fun by definition, like by design. And so if it is not fun for you, um, definitely get that checked out. Another mm-hmm. thing would be postpartum folks, right? If you are leaking, if you are, um, a lot of times people are having painful sex after baby, um, perimenopausal folks. So if you are um, having increased pelvic pain and pelvic pain can also look very commonly like abdominal pain. So maybe you've had a lot of lower abdominal pain. You thought it was your ovary or your uterus or um, your intestines. And it could be some of those things, but especially if you've gotten that checked out and you're like, "Mm, this hasn't come up with any answers. Oftentimes is actually a pelvic floor issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And people with vaginismus, vulvodynia, for sure, if you can't wear pants or underwear, or you're really sensitive to certain um, like, textures, all of that could be pelvic floor related. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's yeah. a good start. Any of those things that are going on in there, downline region or close to it, you can, at least it doesn't hurt to eat, just get, uh, I don't want to say checked out because people may be freaked out by that, but just to <laughs> speak with somebody, right? Just to even have that conversation. Oh, yeah. we're, in a, we're in an age right now, especially where Telehealth, telemedicine is huge. And one of the things that I like to use it for is just for education. And that is, you know, I, I have people reach out to me about public floor stuff. And a lot of people will be living like in the middle of nowhere or they're living in a country where they just don't have access to these things. And that's okay. Because like Christina has just, has just talked about, the role of education, the role of everything besides the actual physiology and how that can help with things and how that can hurt things too. So obviously then it can help things as well. So even if it's just reaching out for education and if that's the only like, you know, the closest thing you can get to a, a consult, totally, totally, totally something that you should be thinking about doing. Um, I'll throw in there like any kind of menstrual related issues. Um, So like in the mafia, someone asked the other day like about a patient that they had that like their back pain like always gets like really bad around like time of menstruation. And it was like, okay, well, this is something that we should be thinking about. Maybe it's endo, whatever, but Mm -hmm. pelvic floor PT um, can can be looking into helping you. And there are pelvic floor PTs that actually specialize in endo. Um, What is their name? Salad? His name's Sally something. It'll come to me uh-huh. after. There's one in New York City. That's where I was. Who like that's like what she did. What she does. Um, like, I always think about yeah. Jessica Drummond when I think of endo. Boom. Um, Done. But yeah, endo, PCOS, anything to your point, uh, anything that has to do with your uterus or your ovaries. And also, if you even if you have those issues and you're still having pain and you can't figure out like why am I still having pain when it's been medically managed or you've tried all the medical management, do not rule out that it feels like it's in the organs, but it might actually be in the muscles and definitely consider getting a pelvic floor, talking to a pelvic floor PT. Man, so good. I want to just continue that just a little bit. I'm, I have my eye on the time, but this is a really good. Um, what about the dudes? Yeah. So um, painful erections, painful ejaculation, that same lower abdominal pain um, oftentimes can be referred and we can do something. It doesn't take very long and it can it can be really significantly improved. I just saw someone who was actually having testicular pain, had been having testicular pain for over a year, had to work up for a hernia, had all sorts of um, ultrasounds, all sorts of stuff. Um, basically was told your only option is pain management at this point. I luckily have a PA in my area who um, we have a good relationship. And she was like, mm, 
I'm just going to reach out to Christina and see if this is something she treats. I said, yeah, for sure. Send him over to inclusive care. And I literally saw him two visits. He's, we did some breathing stuff and he has no more testicular pain. Dude, dude, for real. Please stop just accepting Cipro as the solution. And then also don't having... take Cipro. <laughs> Dude, just, these guys, everyone coming in with a diagnosis of bacterial prostatitis. And I'm like, you're like oh, yeah. 18 years old, 19 years old. Like, what, what's happening here? And they've just been giving like months and months of this. Dudes, if you're listening to this or if you are a, a female or just someone and you know a dude that maybe has had uh, complained about this, reported this in any in any kind of way. Please, there is help. Pelvic floor physical therapy is phenomenal. Pelvic floor physical therapists are phenomenal and can really, really help you. So, And low back pain or hip pain that doesn't resolve with other types of treatment. I Honestly, I think that there are probably a lot of PTs that have that attribute some of their symptoms to FAI and like mm-hmm. other structural things that are that probably are rocking some pelvic floor dysfunction. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. That would, be, would benefit. Any of you people listening to this, maybe it's you, maybe it's your daughter, before you go in for that FAI surgery, please exhaust any and all other routes because real talk, that surgery does not have a very good outcome prognosis. Like they like to do it in a certain demographic because you think they'll heal well. It's usually young females that this, that get this surgery because they're like, oh, you're young. And I don't, know, I don't know if they keep doing them because the doctors don't, like, follow up with these people to realize, like, oh, they're, like, yeah. not getting better. I'm not really sure, but... Technically, we, surgically, they've they've succeeded, right? Because they do the yeah. image, and the image looks pretty like, now. Oh, look. It's good. Yeah. And I'm like, that person never goes back to their sport because oftentimes it's really high-level athletes or, you know, even not high-level, just they're athletes, and they can't go back to that sport the same way as before, and they had this major surgery. So not shitting on surgeons, not shitting on surgery. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a time and a place for everything, but please, before you get any kind of surgery in any part of your body, exhaust all any and all other measures and if you're looking at hip stuff like she said low back stuff please make sure that we are including pelvic floor pt in that in some way shape or or off yeah. my soapbox so <laughs> well, we just one more thing sorry we yeah just know say it no the, good we know from the research that um, the incidence of pelvic floor dysfunction in people who have low back pain, especially around the SI joint, um, in women is greater than 60%, right? That's huge. Yeah. Um, and in men, depending on where it is, it's like running around 25 to 30%. So it, it happens. Yeah, it makes sense. You guys, even if you're thinking I'm like chicken and the egg, like, oh, well, that did that cause my mm-hmm. stuff? Or it doesn't matter. Just treat it. Like people always ask, like, well, what caused what? Okay, it doesn't really matter. Just treat all of it because it all has to be better and working again <laughs> afterwards. So just make sure we're assessing it. If you don't assess it, you'll never address it. So she's giving you tremendous resources. She is a tremendous resource. So you guys definitely check Christina out on Instagram. She's putting up total fire. I'm so proud of her. She's showing her face now. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's amazing. It's so, almost like I had coaching and help from know. someone who's very, very successful <laughs> in the field. Weird. I don't so know. Strange. <laughs> Either way, I am proud of what you're doing. It's great. <laughs> you guys, once again, it's at Christina.Holland. Christina spelled so cool. K-R-Y-S-T-Y-N-A dot Holland. H-O-L-L-A-N-D. But before I let you go, I'm going to ask both questions because <laughs> I'm going to forget. Before we got on, you said that you had asked how nerdy can I get? Is there anything that you didn't nerd out on that you want to like go for right now? No, really just, I could talk about the pain science aspects all day about all of the different things that 
end up being inputs for our brain. So we kind of talked about it, but didn't say it necessarily super explicitly. Um, Societal factors, how people feel about their genitals, sexual trauma and history, um, and not just like a trauma history, but then what that did to their brain chemistry um, Mm -hmm. and how that's interpreted and how that impacts how they interpret other things in their history. So I think that people who have pelvic pain get a really bad rap because they're known for being anxious. And you're like, well, no shit. No shit. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because they had all these things that contributed to what's going to make you like create an anxiety inducing situation. And not to mention when we experience uh, when we experience stressful situations, our pelvic floor is one of the first muscle groups to turn on, um, especially in if the stressful situation has a sexual tone to it, which is why continuing to have painful sex, especially mm. painful sex that is bad in other ways and whether that's like has an emotional component and doesn't even have to be like the person you're having sex with is bad in an emotional way, but like you have emotional feelings about it um, yeah. or any of these other things can just further along the problem. So, yeah, just just that. <laughs> just that. Just that. <laughs> God, I love it, though. So then my official last question, and maybe that was it. I don't know. Um, but are there, is there, are there, what is, what are <laughs> the, your, the, fi- the, the final words you'd like to leave the people with? You can do it. It's okay to make mistakes, and you can do it. And that made me feel some kind of way. I really like that. Christina, thank you. This has been awesome, and I'm excited to uh, expedite this and get this out to the people while everyone's being quarantined and, and such. Like, this has been valuable on so many levels. So thank you for sharing this, and thank you for doing what you do because not a lot of people do it. So thank you, truly. Uh- Honestly, thanks so much for having me on. Um, I love, love talking about it. And you are obviously a really fun person to talk about it with. Oh, that's good to hear. Thank you. You guys listening, thank you. I know you could have been doing anything or I shouldn't say that because you couldn't be doing anything currently. There's things you're not allowed to be doing right now. Captive audience. Right? (laughs) You could have been doing some other things besides listening to this and you chose to listen to us. And for that, I am super, super, super grateful. I am not going to ask for any subscriptions or follows or whatever, anything like that, or likes or anything like that. If you enjoyed this episode, I'm going to ask for two things. One, go check out Christina on Instagram. So much to be learned there. And two, share this with someone who you think could benefit from it. If there's no one, then that's fine. Don't worry about it. But if you think someone could even benefit from just one thing that was said, then please share it with them. You got to get the word out there. All right. Officially wrapping it up. Until next time, friends, Dr. Christina Holland and Maestro 